before I joined, you know, I, I participated in multiple Sunday services. And the things that I heard, the stories, the ideas, the application of some of these things into people's lives, it was like a light came on. And it was like, you've been missing this. You've been missing this the whole time. Like, this is, this is what you need. And this is a community of healing. This is a community of self-improvement. It's a community of spirituality, of an idea so much bigger than us. The amazing thing about the mushrooms is that they speak. They talk to you. They will answer questions, carry on conversations. Psilocybin just pulls up a chair on the porch and puts its feet up. No matter how mighty a warrior becomes, they cannot defeat their self. Across a long time, Jeff Love has witnessed the metamorphosis of inner conflict into peace. And that is the story you're about to hear. He talks about growing up inside of religion, finding expansion and realization in the military, recognizing the juxtaposition of his peace with war and war with peace, and a series of paradigm shifts which has brought him to his grandest beginning yet. Thank you, Jeff, for being so much of yourself all at once. You're listening to Psilocybin Says. To support it, subscribe on YouTube and podcasts, and stay connected on Instagram and TikTok. And now, please welcome Jeff Love. All right, Jeff Love, welcome to Psilocybin Says. Hey, what's up? What is up? I've been looking forward to this conversation many of the conversations we've been having but here to share your story with our listeners i think is uh it's really it's really gonna be really valuable and i know that in the sanctuary community there's gonna be a lot of people that are <laughs> very much looking forward to this episode so tell our listeners a little bit about yourself how'd you come to psilocybin jeff all right well <clears throat> i was i was born in 1980 in huntsville alabama I'm 43 years old. Um, I, I'm a husband and a father and a grandfather. Um, I am a prior service wartime veteran uh, with uh, multiple deployments. Um, and I'll just kind of start with my life as kind of growing up as a teenager prior to going into the military and then kind of move into the military a little bit. So prior to going into the service, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, I was required to go to church usually uh, three times a week, at least twice a week. Um, but I kind of always had a little bit of a, uh, I guess, a kickback to the idea of the guidelines, I guess, and the, the requirements of, of the religion of Christianity. So I kind of went into the military with an idea, you know, that, that I had kind of closed the door on religion and spirituality. And I was just kind of a realist. I was going with what, what I saw, what I felt, what I, what I had going on in my life. And these are the things that I could prove with, you know, experience and, um, the life lessons that I had gained along the way were the things that I would use to guide my moral compass um, instead of, of a religion or spirituality. 
Um, so I joined the military uh, at a young age. Um, can I? Can I? Can I to, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Before you go, go too far, when when did you um, break from church? When did you decide decide that it was just not a good fit for you? Um, really, I I started to disassociate and to question kind of from an early age kind of you know when you're when you're told things you know well this just is because it is and mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm, as a child i mean I'm, in, I'm inquisitive i want to know why i want to know how i want to i want to learn this story i want to know these things you know we're it's just our nature right and they just didn't add up and when i'd ask questions i got you know kind of shut down on my questions and we just don't ask questions and this and it, it just didn't seem to me even as a younger child right but at the age of probably 15, 16, um, you know, when I started to branch out as a teenager and really just be around friends and not around family a lot, and I just wasn't really required to go to church as much anymore, mm-hmm. um, I just kind of started doing my own thing. And I left my house at about 17. Uh, my, my stepfather and I, we did not get along very well, which I don't like to refer to him as my stepfather because he, he raised me and. uh and he loved me very, very much. It was just a, a conflict of, of me not, not respecting him as being the father that he was to me and, and having issues with my own biological father. Mm. Um, you know, and then I think, not to jump too far forward, but being a father and, and having children and, and understanding where he was coming from really gives you a different uh a different outlook on things, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, but I was, um, so I left the house at 17, um, moved in with friends and just kind of was living life kind of on my own and and doing my own thing. And, and, uh, I was pretty happy doing that. You know, I mean, I I was still a teenager and, and not really going to school, not really doing a lot of things productive, uh, you know, probably more getting in trouble and hanging out and just having a good time. Uh, so that's where I sat. I found, uh, that the military was probably the best choice for me since I knew with my upbringing and with my, the ideas that I had for my life that I would have to move into something that was going to push me forward and give me some form of structure, even though it wasn't exactly what I wanted, it was what I knew I needed. So I went ahead and I kind of made that jump, uh, at an early age and went into the military um, I <clears throat> went to basic training and, uh, went to, uh, AIT. Um, I was a Blackhawk crew chief door gunner. Um, I was part of a medevac unit for a long time and I went to war, um, saw a lot of things that I didn't really want to see was part of a, of a lot of uh, actions that now that I've had time to go back and, and reevaluate and feel guilty about and feel remorse and feel, you know, just a lot of those things, just a lot of those feelings. Um, you know, so I went in as a, as a, as a formable young adult, you know, and the military kind of molded me to what, what then I needed to be for them. And it really, when you combine that with a strict Christian background and a lot of structure and a lot of rules, you know, you end up uh, forming 
basically a lifestyle. You know, you, you kind of, I, I, I was programmed. Um, you know, I, I, I met my wife while I was in the military. Um, and I've been married, we've been married uh, for 22 years now. Um, that was an amazing relationship that just popped up in the middle of a, of a crazy time in my life. And uh, we knew each other for about 45 days and got married and we've been married for 22 years. Uh, she was in the military as well. And I feel like that, that, you know, that's the only thing that has been able to keep our relationship from falling apart because there were times where she could understand and see, you know, that, that I'm not the only person that this was going through this and I'm not the only, you know, mm-hmm. it just gave her at least a different perspective um, than what some others have to, to go through that don't get to see things from the, from that side. They just get to see the, the hurt and the, the anger and the frustration. Um, so I was uh, 20, 23 years old and I deployed to, I was 21 years old. September 11th happened five days before September 11th. We landed in Bosnia and I was part of a rotation in Bosnia. We went through, uh, the Balkan mountains searching for threats because we had a, a little bit of a insight to September 11th and we had a high threat. Um, we basically were, were under a high threat in the Balkan region. So I went to Bosnia and did a rotation uh, in Bosnia in 2001. And then I came back home and I went, uh, we were on Christmas break at my grandmother's house and I got a phone call uh, from my unit saying that I needed to come home and that we were getting ready to deploy and that we were going to Iraq. Um, I came home. We left um, and arrived in country on January 27th, and we waited until March to go to war. So it was just a huge <clears throat> a huge burden on my mind, you know, to, to know these things and to, to be there and to, to kind of live in that environment and not know, you know, at 23 years old, not, not know to what to expect and not, not really be aware of how the things that were about to happen were about to change my life forever. Mm-hmm. Um, also when I left, my wife was pregnant. Um, my son was born on March the 3rd, and after about three weeks, I got a uh, printed out picture from my commander that had come through email, and I got to see my son for the first time. And I went through my first uh, tour um, where we went, we went forward from Kuwait all the way you know, through Baghdad and up into Missoula and, and back down to Fallujah. And, um, I went through, through all of that, no, not knowing if I'd ever meet my son, you know? Yeah. So at 23 years old, you know, it, it's a, a lot to digest, you know, just a lot to, uh, I came out of a world where <sighs> we're in a first world country where I have, you know, access to all these things and life is just easy and it's kind of what you make it. And then I go and I'm, I'm, I've witnessed these third world countries and I've seen the way that, these other people live in the way that, that, uh, you know, the hardships that they face and the things that they have. And, and it really gives you a different, a different outlook on the world and on life, you know? So 
I feel like because of that experience, it really rounded me out as an individual. It really made me learn how to start to take everything else into account instead of just being inside of myself and how my world was affected by just me and the things that I did. Mm-hmm. But that, that there were so many other things out there and people and different ways and different ideas and different, you know, just, just and kind of being exposed to some of this is what really tweaked a little bit of my interest, you know, kind of at that time about a little bit more about spirituality. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind of dealing with the fact that, that I might die today and I might die tomorrow and I might die the next mm-hmm. day. It's all just about making it to the end of the day. It's all about waking up tomorrow. <clears throat> so, you know, that kind of, I started to kind of reevaluate the idea and I got really lost in the fact, well, if, if there's all these things in the world and there's all these religions and everybody has the right one and everything, you know, it, it, it's, it just depends on what region you're in to what religion you are to what, you know, you believe. So how could this possibly be the only way, you know, or this could mm-hmm. be the right way? Everyone feels like they have the right way. So again, I'm 23. I come home. <clears throat> I come home and I meet my, my son for the first time. I get to see my wife. I get to see my family. Man, things are, things are great. Um, but I feel this void in my life. I feel this, like this hole where I think I had spent, uh, you know, a year with, with nothing but the raw emotion of, of, of fear and aggression and anger. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, for the last year that I had lived, I had, I had lived my life of a, either I'm okay or I'm not okay. There's no in-between emotion. There's no time for that emotion. There is a, a task to be done. There's, there's a goal to accomplish and I don't have time to have feelings about it. I only have time to do the things that I need to do. So being taught those ways in the military, being programmed that way, and then being put into real life scenarios to where now you have lived this way, and to come back home into a society of people who, don't get me wrong, I'm so grateful that, that our country welcomed us home, that we didn't go through the things that, you know, other soldiers have had to go through coming home. You know, that, that's, um, but there was, there was so much support, um, but it just didn't take away the parts of me that had lived that. And I had come home and tried to ignore, you know, those parts of me that had 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 lived that life, that had been there. And then, you know, a year goes by and here we go again. So uh, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. Um, I went back overseas, um, came back home, got out of the military. Um, 15 days after I was out of the military, I was offered a position as a government contractor, making more money than I'd ever made. Um, I had three children now. Um, and I was out of the military with no clues to what I was going to do. So I, uh, 
I took a job as a contractor doing what I knew how to do. I went back overseas. Um, and I spent probably total time about six and a half years overseas. Um, just living a life of, of, you know, the, the, I would call home every day that I could, I would, I would always try to keep contact and keep my relationship strong and, and talk to my children and see my children. And that part of me as being a father and being a, 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 a husband that, that was always there. And I wanted to be a part of that. Um, but there was a time where I knew that I had a problem because every time I would come home, cause I would come home for a few months and then I would leave and go back. You have to stay in, in theater uh, for 330 consecutive days to get your tax-free uh, pay. And then you go back. So I'd come home for 30 days and sometimes a month or two and then, and then go back. Um, but life seemed so difficult while I was at home. You know, life was so complicated. Like the stress that was created by all of these small little things that, that were so unimportant that, that really didn't, make a difference on whether you made it until tomorrow and then to come home with that mentality of, you know, well, these are the things that are important and then and you're, you're, you know, so I hope that I'm not rambling with this, but no, this is perfect. But, um, so, you know, I, I come home and, and I was happy. I was happy with the people that I love, but I was so, out of my element or out of my comfort zone that I couldn't, I couldn't reprogram myself to come back in it. So I just kept leaving. And I knew that I had a problem when it broke my heart into, to get on an airplane and it tore me apart to tell my wife and kids goodbye and to have them drop me off, to know that I was doing this by choice and, and it just destroyed parts of me and I questioned myself so bad but the feeling when I stepped off of a plane into 140 degree heat and pieces of sand hit me in the face I had the most incredible and overwhelming feeling of it's just all going to be okay this is where you're supposed to be. This is where you, you know, like, and I, and I couldn't figure out why I couldn't figure it, but I knew that something inside of me was, was wrong. Something, there was no way that I could have all of this emotion and all of this tie to home, but yet my comfort zone was here in a war zone. My comfort zone was where it was simple to live. It was very easy. It was just, we do the things that we have to do. We accomplish the task. There is no half-ass. There's no not making it. We're going to make it. We're going to do it. And that's what we do. Um, and that's just how I lived. You know, that was my mentality. That was my life. And uh, can, I, can I ask you, yeah. um, when, did, were you able to have these kinds of conversations or talk about these feelings with your fellow contractors or fellow no. military? No, there's no one. There was no one to talk to. There was no one to. I haven't. I haven't talked about this stuff to. There's things you know that my my own my own family doesn't know. There's things that that.
there's just things that uh that that I would be afraid that people would look at me differently. You know, especially the people that I love, the people that I care about, that they mean the most to me. You know, how what you know, like I can't say that I was in control at those moments because I was living off of a off of a program. I was living off of the idea that I had to do what the man in my headset tells me to do or I have to do what my commander says or I have to do this, you know, and they don't have to live with the decisions that I made that that broke my moral code that that violated the things that I didn't want to violate, the things that you know, but I did the things that I had to do because that's what I thought my only options were, you know, that that's kind of, and, and I, don't get me wrong. I think we've, you know, we've discussed this. I love my country and I love, I absolutely love the people of this country. I love the ideas. I love all of it. And I would fight for this country any day, but I would rather stay here and fight if I had to fight for it on my own land. I don't, I don't think I agree with fighting wars in other lands as, you know, as, as, off the pretense of, of the ideas of another man versus how I feel morally about it. Um, did, 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 did that perspective. Oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to ask if that perspective changed while you were overseas or if it took some time coming back before you it had that shift. Time. It took some time. I didn't shift until after. And that's when I started to find that now I'm, when I was in it and when I was around it, it was making me crazy. I was drinking. I was so engulfed in it. And I was good at what I did. I was really, I made a career out of it. Uh, I could have had a even more promising or even, even more of a career and, and done more. And, and, but I noticed that uh, my moral, my morals wouldn't, they didn't align with what I was doing and I was unhappy and I was, uh, I was, I was miserable. I was making other people in my, in my life miserable because, you know, I just couldn't. And, and that kind of went for work altogether for a long time. I, I worked for 25 years and I never kept, after I got out of the military, I never kept the same job for over a year and a half, two years. I couldn't work in the same place with the same people for that long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always did the things that I had to do to raise my family and make sure that I was employed, make sure that they had everything that they needed. But I, for me, it was it was I always knew that I would never retire from one company. I would never, you know, I, I, I couldn't stand the politics. I couldn't be around the individuals. I can only put up with the lack of of care that comes with some of the people that are in the society that, that I live in and in the workforce. And it was that programming in my head. It was that, you know, it was instead of me being able to see that, you know, this is how you're giving your time and you're swapping your time for money. And this is what you, what you do, but your time is the most valuable thing that you have. And the way that you do that time, it, it doesn't affect the way that I get paid for my time. It doesn't change that at all. And, you know, but I was so busy trying to, uh, be productive and be good at what I did that, that running teams and running people and being charged, being in charge was something that I had grown accustomed to. Um, and, you know, I could go to work and be very, very good at work and I could thrive at work and I could be appreciated at work. Um, I could be, 
I mean, I was given <laughs> I was given an award by the Joint Task Force Special Forces Commander um, just for doing my job. Um, I was good at it, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, but that mentality coming out of the military, trying to carry that over into a civilian life and into a civilian um, career is just it's almost unmanageable. It's your expectations are too high. You're, you know what I mean? You're, you're just, my ego doesn't fit there. My ego doesn't, it doesn't, it, it can for a little while, but it just, it didn't. So I couldn't keep a job. Uh, so we moved around a lot. Um, my oldest son. I want to, I want to, I want to oh, ask, I want to yeah, ask go ahead. some questions if I can. And again, like any of this stuff, you just can feel free to, to not answer, but I can't, I can't help, but, but ask if, if, and maybe you've had the opportunity, but if you were to sit down with in a room with one or a hundred young men or women who were, who were enlisted and were about to go off into service with the military, what, 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 what kind of things would you say to them? Well, the first thing that I would say is that I, I am proud to know them and that I respect their decision because it's an individual decision to choose to do that. For you to say that you are willing and to go through the action of putting your life on the line for the idea of freedom and the idea of, of what it is that not not maybe our our current government but what our country stands for what our idea of our country what our our idea of our foundation of 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 what this is to be right and just like so many generations for thousands of years you know war is inevitable war is a is a is an action of life and i would tell them that unfortunately in today's society that we live in a place where the warrior is not always understood. I, like I said, I would tell them that I was proud, but I would also tell them to stay true to their morals, to stay true to themselves and to understand that they've given themselves to do a job. but to use humanity in their decisions as well. Hmm. And I know it's not always as easy. And a lot of things go out of the door when you're getting shot at. A lot of ideas, a lot of, a lot. <laughs> Man. And here's the deal. It's like, I, I would love to tell you, I would love to tell you that I, I might think differently in a different situation. But the thing that I know about myself is that if it's you or me, I'm going to do everything I can. You know, I've been, I've been, I've learned these things about myself. And these are things that, that you don't know until you're put into these situations. Some of these things are, are things that some people will never have to deal with. And I'm so glad and I'm happy for that. And I would commend those people that are going in because they are taking the place of those people that are never going to have to go through that. 
And that's what that volunteer is. That volunteer is, is the person who is willing to say, I'll do what it takes so you can go do, you know. And, and then when I come home, you know, I hear things that I don't like or I see things that I don't like. But I have to remember that I fought for your right to have that feeling. I fought mm. for your right to have that opinion, to have that voice. You know what I mean? Like, and that's part of it. That's what it's all about. It's not about me. It's about the whole. It's about the, mm. you know. So that's that part of uh, my commitment. You know, I took an oath to this country and I got out of the military, but I never gave my oath back. And I never will, you know, I, I, it's like my oath to my children and my wife. I will always protect you. I will never, I will never put myself first in those situations. And I learned that through selfless service, I guess, is, is you know, I mean, it, it, it's just something that I didn't understand it at the time, you know, to be honest, I just thought I was a little badass at the time. I just thought it was just, you know, this is what I do. But there was no contemplation, no idea of what have I done or who and how did I affect the lives of others? And how did I change things for them? Um, you know, so coming home from the military, if you have any more questions, we can go. We can go. That's That's how. Uh, so coming home and getting out of the military, I was a, I was a contractor and coming home from contracting, I really had a hard time finding my place. Like I said, I was all over the place. Uh, I went back to aviation and worked, you know, I'd work two years at Fort Bragg and then go to two years at Fort Benning and then a couple of years in Huntsville and Alabama and then, you know, just bounce around wherever contracts are open. And then, uh, My life while I was doing that was just falling apart. You know, I was going to work every day and I was doing the things that I needed to do. Um, but I had started drinking very heavily. Um, I had started getting to the point where I was really contemplating and thinking about a lot of things that I had done and a lot of things that. You know, a lot of these emotions were coming up because it had been a few years and like I was starting to grow and starting to move past. And I was trying to sort these things out, you know, and I thought, how can I be this human being? And I thought, you know, alcohol makes me numb. I like to drink. I was a workaholic. I like to work. I worked 70 hours a week. I didn't care. Uh, to me, I was just doing the right thing. My wife didn't have to work. She was at home with the kids, raising kids, doing doing what I thought was what we wanted to do. But I was never taking into consideration what, what she wanted or if she had any goals or dreams or wanted to do anything other than raise children, you know. <clears throat> so that, uh, that caused a big strain on our relationship. Not the fact of the things that she wanted to do, but just the fact that I was... I was angry and I was angry with myself. So I would drink and then I didn't want to come home. I wanted to go to the bar and drink and 
then I would come home from the bar and then I would be angry and mad. And, and now you're frustrated because I'm coming home from the bar, but I'm going to drink because I'm frustrated with myself and I'm mad and angry. You're mad and angry and I'm not the type of person that gets run over. So I'm going to run over you because you're trying to be mad at me and I'm going to shut you down. And then it kind of felt like at the same time, you know, I didn't like myself. So I couldn't figure and see how other people liked me. And I didn't want to be around people. So if I was just mean and hurt your feelings, then you didn't want to be around me either. <clears throat> For some reason, that was the brain that that was the way that my brain decided that we were going to use that as a as a coping mechanism. We were going to to try to find, and I was just grasping for straws. I was just trying to find a way to, to work through some things. You know, I had contacted the VA. I had, uh, I had talked to them a little bit and didn't have a lot of success. Um, my life kind of got to the point where, well, it didn't kind of, it did get to the point where my wife was, you know, she was like, I can't take this anymore. You got to do something. You've got to figure this out. You've got to get get things going. And so I went and I was diagnosed uh, PTSD with anger, aggression, with antisocial mood disorder. Um, and I was bipolar. And they just told me all of this stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, then there's something wrong with me. I'm broken, right? Now I'm broken. There's a reason, blah, blah, blah. Well, now you just have to put up with me and this medicine and whatever's going on because I'm broken and this isn't my fault and I didn't do this to me and you know whatever. Mm -hmm. At least that's that's my brain's idea, right? That's that's the logic that's coming from these people that are telling me that I have all these things wrong with me, right? Because I was depressed and I was angry and I was you know, but like, but there was never an idea of let's let's talk to <clears throat> the root cause. It was more of Here's some medication. Come talk to me in two weeks. When I talk to you, it's always about medication. It's never about what's going on. It's never about, you know, so there was no therapy. There was no integration of, of anything other than how does the medicine make me feel? Am I sad? Am I happy? How am I doing? So I went through about 13 different medications over about two years. Jesus. Yeah. I went through... Uh, just some some rough times with that you know like some super emotional days some super you know and i was just driving my wife crazy man like destroying my my life everything that i'd built you know um everything that was important to me all of the things that that had meant what my life meant to me they were all going away they were all being destroyed and uh so I finally, the last medication they put me on was Kalonzapam. I took Kalonzapam for almost two years. And I didn't care what happened. I didn't care if I was sad. I didn't care if I was happy. I didn't care about money. I didn't care about anything. We'd have been sitting around a fire. You just said, Jeff, your foot's on fire. I'd look down and I'd have been like, huh, it is. Maybe I should move it. You know, like I just didn't care. I didn't have, that was who I was. And then my wife comes to me and in the middle of that, we had just hit a boiling point. We had just hit a point where things were not working at all. 
and uh, and she she moved here to Kentucky and left me in Alabama for a, a summer. And then uh, she came home, and we worked on a few things. And then, uh, you know, I basically was given an ultimatum of I'm going to come here and work on this or, or you know, she's going to leave and come home and be around her family and the things that she wants. And, and, uh, and that's how I got here. And that's how I got to Kentucky. And uh, we, we went through, you know, went through a hard time as a couple as friends, you know, as, as parents. Um, but we never gave up. And we just didn't understand why, but just didn't stop, you know, like even when things got bad and we had to be separated, it was still just a, it just didn't stop. So, um, so, you know, I came up here and I started working. I got away from, from aviation. Um, I had done that in Alabama prior, but I got away from contracting. I got away from the army. I got away from military, military mentality. Um, it's amazing how when I go to work with people who have been in the same situations, who have been and have stories and have just these experiences that are so close, that are they're so wrapped and entwined together and, and you know, it, it's as simple as hearing somebody tell a story where, man, I was there. I was just on the other side. I was, you know, I never met you. I never knew you, but man, I was, I mean, just, just, it's a small world. Mm -hmm. right? So I had to get away from that because it was like, it was just making me crazy. It was, it was making me unable to function in the capacity of, civilian jet you know it was keeping me stuck in that mentality of that military mindset that so i, I just had to get away from it and i did i uh, ended up ended up going to school and uh i uh, ended up working on um, electronics and uh went to school for electrical engineering technologies um i have a, a very widespread background of, of, you know, I fabricate, weld, paint, um, can work with metal, um, do woodwork. Uh, I'm a certified GM technician, uh, certified diesel technician. I've, I've just, I'm, I'm, when it comes to working on things, I'm pretty handy. Um, so I never had a problem finding employment. I just couldn't find something that, that was something that I really wanted to do or that, that didn't drive me crazy after not, not when I say crazy, this didn't, it, it didn't meet what I needed in my life, you know? So I was changing jobs mm -hmm. and doing that. Um, so I got up here in Kentucky and I was working and I got away from aviation and I was still on the Klons band. Um, and then my wife came to me one day, just like she did the years before and said, Oh my gosh, I can't take this. You know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. We can't do the medicine. So after two years of Kalanzapan where you're not supposed to quit, I just put the bottle down uh, back up. I never picked it back up. Never, never did. Never took another pill. After that. What was that transition like? <sighs> to be honest, 
the worst part about it was that I couldn't expose the things that I was feeling because I was afraid that it was going to affect my relationship. I was afraid that it was going to, that I was going to drive her farther away. So it was like, so I, I kind of went through this withdrawal and this, you know, like, but I didn't want to expose any weakness or any, you know what I mean? I just, so, and I, and I, and I did, you know, it, uh, it was rough. It was rough. I was still drinking. Uh, so I probably started drinking more because I came off of the Klonopin. Um, and, uh, what was it? Was it, was it that, was it this not, not feeling if you, if you don't mind, like what, what prompted her to, to say that? <sighs> well, because all the medicine was doing was making me numb. I just didn't care. I didn't care about it. You know, there's a difference. There's a difference in being a happy person and being someone who is uh, actively participating in life and in, you know, creating and, and um, strengthening and just nurturing relationships and things like that. And those were not things that I was capable of doing. I wasn't capable of being there for you. I wasn't capable of being the person who I've always valued myself to be. And that's, that's, I'll, I'll no matter what it takes, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be that person for my family, for my kids, for my wife, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, but not, not being able to be that person and not being able to losing two years of processing anything, you know? And then it was like mm -hmm. every week, every week that went by, I would look at more and more things that I had done while I was on Columbia. And I was like, I never would have done that if I wouldn't have mm. done that. I never would have, I never would have made those financial decisions. I never would have done these things. I never would have, you know, like it, it was like the more and more things, they just like kept coming clear. And like every time I would try to go back in, things would just be clearer and clearer. And the, the longer I got away from the, you know, the longer it had been since I'd had the clock and the clearer I got on the decisions, the clearer it became of what my moral code was, the clearer it, it was kind of coming to me of the person that I was supposed to be. And then realizing the person that I was at the moment, you know what I mean? Um, so, <sighs> My wife and I were still not having the greatest relationship. Um, we were co-parenting pretty well, um, but our relationship was suffering. Uh, <clears throat> I decided to start going to the gym. I didn't know why. I just didn't like the way that I looked. Um, so I decided to start going to the gym. And after about three weeks of going to the gym, I'd asked my wife, I'd asked Silver, I said, well, you know, for my birthday, I think I want like a 24-hour gym access membership. I'll pay it every month if you just want to get me, you know, get me started. Um, and she did. And, uh, and man, it, it just created this huge release of emotion, adrenaline, you know, anger. It just really release these hormones by going to the gym that just kind of started to 
self-regulate my body a little bit, started to kind of bring me kind of back into, you know, like I'm, I'm using it. This is what it's for. You know what I mean? So when you use your body, it, it produces and, and makes hormones and does the things that, are, that it's supposed to do. You know, when you, when you take a happy pill and you lay on the couch and you don't do anything and you drink a lot of beer all the time, you know what I mean? Your body doesn't do the things that it's supposed to do. You can't be the right. person that you're supposed to be. You can't expect to be a happy person when you're, you're not taking care of yourself, when you're not, you know, like you have, there, there's a, a foundation that has to be laid for you to, to be a successful individual, whether it be happiness, you know, in anything. So, mm-hmm. um, I got into the gym. And I stopped drinking. And my wife, I remember she was like, I'm kind of frustrated that, you know, I've asked you to stop drinking all these times and you you don't want to stop drinking for me, but you'll stop drinking for the gym. And I think I just kind of had to put it to her. I was like, but I stopped drinking. We stopped drinking. You know what I mean? I couldn't couldn't go to the gym and make myself feel good and then come home and drink a six pack and wake up Mm -hmm. like shit. And I'm like, what? I went to the gym. Why don't I feel good? Well, that's because you killed all your recovery. You killed all your, your ability mm-hmm. to, to heal and do, you know. Um, so uh, I quit drinking. I had been smoking cigarettes back then. I quit smoking cigarettes. I just started going to the gym. I just started trying to be healthy. And mm-hmm. uh, I ended up really finding happiness in myself, being able to push the world away for an hour a day and to say, while I'm in here, I'm in control. I'm controlling what I do. I'm controlling what machine or what weight I lift. I'm controlling how many times I do it. I, I am in control of my own world. And for that hour, that was the beginning. That was where it started was that I started to notice that, Hmm, I kind of like being me for this hour. I kind of like the person that I am, kind of like the thought processes that go on in this hour, you know, but then I would leave and life would go back to that. I just didn't know how to, Mm. it's like I had all this clutter and I had a filing cabinet, but I didn't know how to file any of it away. Right. Like it's sitting over here ready to be put away, but I don't know how to do it. So it's, it's just, Mm. it's everywhere. My life is just everywhere when I walk out of here. But when I walk into that gym, it's quiet. Everything shuts up and it's just from here to here. Right. So, and I repeated that and I repeated it and I repeated it and I started to feel better and I started to find a happiness with myself, a happiness with my decisions, a happiness with my ability to stay on track, to stay on course, to do things differently. And these things seem to me to be promising of what, what I could do, what, what, what I could create. So I really got into the gym and I changed gyms, went to a different gym. I had, had a job that was close to another gym. Uh, we can fast forward a little bit and I got my wife to join the gym with me and we got into CrossFit and, um, we had fun and she started to enjoy fitness and she really started to enjoy, coming in and spending that time with me and being around me and watching me. One of the things that I remember her telling me was like, like she was like, like I see, you know, kind of like you being you, you know, you, you being not, not the things that, but like 
not all the life expectancies, not all that other, but like that, that person that shines when you're that kid, you know what I mean? Like that mm, yeah. coming out, I see you. And, uh, and it, by me being able to find me and be happy with me, I was able to start to repair things in the relationship, start to grow and move forward in my life with the things that were the most important to me that had become some of the things that I was going to lose. So my life was kind of continually starting to get better, but I was also pushing myself to these extremes and I was making myself so physically exhausted and so physically drained that I couldn't fight you because I still wanted to fight people. I still wanted to be angry. I still wanted to be frustrated. And after a couple of years in the gym, I got so big, I couldn't get anybody to fight me. Like even when people would get mad, I couldn't get nobody to fight me anyway. <laughs> but, but, uh, but that was, that was still the, the opposite end for where we were trying to get to. Right. So mm-hmm. you just don't want to be that person. Um, but I was using all of that aggression and I was using it in a positive way and it was working positively in my life. It was creating a very good impact um, in my daily routine, in my family life. I was, I also took it as the opportunity to, you know, I have a 19, 20 and 25 year old son, all sons. And I really wanted to look at them and be like, if I can do this at 40, if I can do this at 38, 39, 40 years old, you know, th- what's stopping you guys from doing anything? You can do anything you want to do. You just have to apply yourself. And then I got, uh, <clears throat> I somewhat got kicked out of CrossFit because I tend to be like, okay, well, we got done with this. Well, let's, let's do something else. You guys can do 135 pounds for 50 times, but can you do 225 for five? Let's see what we can do. And they're like, you know, there's this sport called Strongman. You should go check it out. So they didn't kick me out. They just kind of like patted me on the back and pushed me in the direction of a new sport. <laughs> and I, uh, so I ended up finding Strongman. And that's where things in my life with uh, physical fitness, um, coaching other people, writing programs, um, all of that really started to evolve. Um, I started to get serious about my training. I had a, a I had a coach that had won um, America's Strongest Man in my weight class a few years prior. He really kind of turned me into if I was a machine, I was I was a, a fighter jet or a race car, you know. And it was like we put in only the fuel you need. We do only the things we need. We we really apply our life to only being this thing. And man, it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. And now my my life with my wife and children still continued to improve. Right? These things are making they were kind of helping rebuild me, I guess, and rebuild my idea of of myself. Um, not necessarily making me who I am, but pushing through adversity, you know, um, showing up when you don't want to, you know, just really kind of getting back to those 
values and morals that I knew in myself, you know, and this was, this was making me bring those back out of myself. Mm. The sense of accomplishment, you know what I mean? Like I competed a lot. I did really good. Uh, but some of my best days were when nobody was around. Mm. Some of my best times were when, when I had to do something physical that was so hard that I thought I'll never get through this. I'll never be able to do it. But you know what? Either it's going to put me on the ground or I'm going to do it anyways. And I'd be doggone if I didn't make it through it, you know? So it was like it, it, even though I didn't realize that those were going to be the metaphors that I was going to use a little bit later to help me realize that I can apply that to everything in life, you know, that that's how, mm -hmm. but I didn't realize it then. And then it was just that stepping stone. Um, so my wife and I both got into strongman and, and I competed, uh, I made it to compete at a national level, um, and I took third place at a national competition. And then a, a week later, I I tore my left quad tendon in half, ripped my right hamstring, tore my or broke my fourth metatarsal on my right foot, and crushed my left ankle in an accident in about two seconds. God damn! So uh, I. I was in a wheelchair. Um, did you did, did a did a weight fall on you, or did you what what can you share? What yeah, happened? Yeah, yeah. So um, so I was doing a overhead press, and I so I was in really really good shape. I was pretty strong. So I had three hundred and nine pounds on a bar, and I did a successful overhead press, and I put it back in the rack. God. I put it back in the rack and uh, added a little more weight. I put 317 pounds on there. I stepped out of the rack with it. Everything was good. When I bent my knees to get a little bit of a push like this, it's like you bend your knees and shoot up. And I bent my knee and my leg shot out from under my quad tendon ripped in half right there. Oh, fuck. Earlier that day, I had done a 585-pound axle deadlift probably 20 minutes, 30 minutes prior. So I was really kind of running in a – in a red zone anyway. Uh, but I had been invited by some pros to come lift and hang out. And, uh, God damn. So, but my life can so change right there, that moment. Right. Right. But I mean, so, but I mean, just trying to envision that, you know, did you drop the weights behind you? They didn't land on you? Or, I mean, how did you stay, like, as safe as you did without getting really hurt? Would you like to see the video? <laughs> oh, whoa. <laughs> That's up to you. Um, uh, yeah, the weight came down on top yeah, of you. It, yeah. It, all right. Let's see. There's a way to line it through this thing here, but I don't know how to do it right well, I was going to say, I think I can hold it if you... Yeah, hold it up to the screen. God damn, I can't believe you got this on video. Oh, yeah. All right. So let's see. Can we get a good? There's me in the hospital bed. <laughs> Let me see if I can get less of a glare on here. It's not showing up. It might not work. I don't know. Let's see. I'm not sure where the glare is coming from. Yeah. Yeah, there's too much glare coming in. I can't really see. Uh, let's see. Let me try. Let me try. Is this on? Is this on your? Is this on your Instagram page? Yes. Yeah. 
Holy shit! Are you serious? Yeah. I'll I can post I can I'll post a link to the video in the show notes. So and I'm yeah. gonna okay I can yeah holy shit yeah I saw it co- oh yeah, my god I, I'll I'll get the videos in the oh. if you want to I'll hey, well I can I can I, if you don't care I mean I can just post a link to it on the Instagram yeah, yeah, feed I'm fine. sure there's gonna be people that would be interested in. God damn that's fun holy shit so yeah so that was uh. That was my yeah, fucking. I mean, like, what, what were, were like, were there any, were there any thoughts like when that happened? Like, can you even recall where you were mentally during the? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, God. So, like I said, man, I was in front of, I was in front of three straw man pros that I just missed my pro card by by two spots, uh, but but I was invited. So I had these people that I was in front of and I had, uh, my wife was recording and I've just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have a pretty decent pain tolerance. So I just kind of laid there. (laughs) Um, I laid there. I knew that I was, you know, they were like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, my wife, she, she, just freaked out. She's like, well, what do you, you know, at this point she thinks that I am like unbreakable. You know, she thinks that I am like, there is nothing that I can't do. And, uh, I mean, yeah, if you, she has a video of me doing a 320 pound stone from the ground to a four foot over. Yeah. So we, we did some, we did some big stuff. Uh, but so I'm laying there on the ground and, uh, I haven't really thought about what's going to happen yet, right? Other than the ambulance is on the way and I'm laying there and they're asking me if I'm okay and they're talking to me and I'm just I'm just laying there trying to talk to people because I know if I start focusing on the pain that I'm not going to I'm not going to be able to get away from mm-hmm. it. And then so my brain says, "Oh, Jeff, you've got on brand new SPD knee sleeves." They're $90 knee sleeves. You need to take those off. They're going to cut those off. The ambulance is going to cut those in half to get them off your leg. So I talked to the guy who owns the gym to come over there and pull my knee sleeve off. And when he did, so this hand is my kneecap and this hand is my quad tendon. My quad tendon rolled up my leg and my kneecap went down below on my shin. Oh shit! Yeah, that's what when I. That's he, exactly. Off, that's man. exactly what I said. I was like, "Oh shit. yeah, I bet." And, and so, but and it's him taking off the sleeve that caused it to snap like that. Well, no, no, no. It had already snapped. The sleeve was holding things in place. Right. Well, it was holding it in place. Right. Yeah, yeah. So when, sorry, it, yeah. when the sleeve came off, that muscle tensed and it retra- it, it curled up because there's no tendon holding it to your kneecap. So my quad tendon came way so did the, in my thigh. And then it's all and did the pain just like Oh man. It, I'm it, sorry, it, go ahead. Go ahead. The pain was the pain was, was fucking horrible, bro. The pain was rough. Yeah, but I mean like after after like before the knee brace or whatever was on yeah. or when once that was removed, did the pain just go through the fucking ceiling? Yeah. Had to. God damn, man. Oh, my God. And then I have people asking me, like, oh, my gosh, does it not hurt? Does it not hurt? And I'm like, just get the ambulance here. And I'm like trying to keep my brain almost in shock. You know what I mean? Like I really want it to be in shock, Uh but I'm like really starting to like 
analyze every oh, second. Shit. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? But I'm like, okay, if I can just stay in shock till they get here, you know what I mean? If I can just, um, because it's like I realized the moment that it happened, oh. as soon as I hit the floor, like the first thought I think that I had that was conscious was more of like, if you panic, this is going to be even worse. Don't panic. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do. Don't panic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the ambulance comes in, mm-hmm. and um, they take me to the emergency room. They evaluate my left leg uh, and tell me that because of COVID, that I'm going to have to go home and schedule a surgery. I'll have to have a COVID test. It's going to take seven days before I can get into the. Oh my God. So I went home for seven days with nothing attached. Um, Didn't know it at the time that I was at the hospital until I'm getting ready to leave the hospital. But then when I, when they, they had given me crutches to walk on and I guess my adrenaline was so high. And then the ambulance had given me pain meds that when I got off the table to use the crutches, that's the first time we found out my right foot was broken. So I put my foot down to get ready to leave and I can't, and they just say, well, you'll just have to call the ortho about it. We're already through with the visit. We've already discharged you. Oh my God. So I come home. Was this, was this a VA hospital? No, no, this was Norton. No. Okay. Um, okay. And then, uh, so I come home and I wake up the next day and my right hamstring is purple whole backside of my leg so i ripped my hamstring broke my right ankle my left ankle hurts worse than anything on my body and i'm going and getting x-rays and getting all these uh images taken and there's nothing wrong it's just swelling there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong i'm like look i have a piece that's not attached to my knee i've got a broken foot that i can't walk on and my foot that you say nothing's wrong with hurts worse than anything else on my body the pain meds are not working what's wrong with my foot something's wrong with my foot so uh, so i spend 12 weeks uh 12 well i spent uh 10 and a half 11 weeks locked out at zero on my left leg in a demobilized where i can't i can't move i'm at zero degrees completely stretched out in front of me and in a wheelchair so I'm silly, man. I'm going to the gym in a wheelchair. I'm lifting weights in a wheelchair. I'm trying. Oh, oh shit! You check out my Instagram account. You'll see. <laughs> you'll see. All my right. wife is, is is like, I don't want to take you, but. I'm- <laughs> so, Damn! I'm, this All is right. not going to break right. me. I'm going to get this. Blah blah blah. You know whatever. So my doctor wasn't very. <sighs> wasn't very open and honest really about what my recovery was going to be and what I was going to be able to do. And, you know, he kind of gave me a lot of false sense of, of hope there at the beginning that I was going to be able to do a lot of things that I was able to do and that it wasn't going to affect me quite the way that it was. So after my surgery and after I started healing and going through physical therapy and I would get better for weeks and weeks, I would do better. And then all of a sudden I would hurt myself and I would just go back and I go back to like almost ground zero. And, uh, I got my leg strengthened up 
or I got my my strength and I got my leg to start developing and to grow back because I tore part of my quad muscle off. Uh, it ripped off with the tendon when the tendon broke. And in the process of trying to grow that back, I just kept having all these problems with my ankle and all these issues with my ankle. And uh, I was really, really concerned with having, you know, pain meds and using pain meds. So I really tried really hard to not become one of those people that because of the surgery, I had had to go down through a road of like, you know, coming off of opiates or something like that. I didn't, mm -hmm. didn't want that to be, mm -hmm. I'd already had all these other things in my life and all this other experience with medication that I was like, you know, I don't want shit that comes out of a right. bottle. I don't want it. It's not what I, you know? Um, so, um, now I had always smoked cannabis, uh, but I really started to use uh, dab and um, just extremely potent forms of cannabis, and they work very well for the pain. They don't make the pain go away. You know, I don't. I don't. Anybody that tells me that oh it makes it not hurt, I don't believe that. You know, I mean, just from my own personal experience, what it does do is it where pain's right here in front of me, looking at me right in the eyes and telling me this hurts, this sucks. You know, we can't focus on anything else. It kind of moves it way back here to the back of the room, and I can still hear it, but I can mm -hmm. focus on other things. Other things are still coming in as information other than only this pain voice that's right here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so I I was able to not have to use so many pain meds there were still days that i you know physical therapy it didn't matter how much i smoked i could not get through physical therapy without having to have some sort of pain meds um so uh i ended up still having issues out of my ankle and a year later uh finally had a doctor find a shattered bone in my ankle and it had healed and grown into my tendons and, and my nerves and he finally went in. I, I had that cut out. Um, and, and since then, on my physical recovery, things have started to pick up and started to move forward again. And um, that, that I'm very, very grateful for. Uh, but I'm pretty sure if I could have gotten that taken care of with the first surgery with my knee, that my recovery and my ability the ability that I have now to walk and do things would be much better than what it is uh, currently. So, mm, yeah. um, that is crazy. Like, a th did you know that a, thir a third of all hospital deaths are from either malpractice or some doctor mistake? It doesn't surprise me. Like, it does not. It, a third. Right. Like, you have to sign. I know that you have to sign a waiver when you go into the hospital. Saying, you know, like, you, you're basically relinquishing the res you know what I mean you're like you're no longer responsible yeah. if you kill me and <laughs> it's 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 incredible how how much gets missed I, I mean and I'm not here to criticize doctors or anything that's a hard job on you know but we we put a whole lot of faith a whole lot of stock in something that's only really truly not not even say successful something that can a third of the time can fucking kill you right so my other, my second doctor, uh, my second surgeon, he was very, very realistic with, with the, you know, with my, what, what I could expect with what my expectations should be. Mm -hmm. And knowing that information, it wasn't, 
it was much easier to kind of come to terms with what what was going on because I was here I was finding myself in a position where the doctor that I had, the surgeon that I had, he was telling me that, you know, you should be able to do these things and you, you should be able to do this and this is going to be good. And this, so I'm going in, I'm trying these things and I'm hurting myself. Of course. Right. right. You know, cause I'm not, right. I'm not the individual who's going to sit here and, and, and just not do it because I don't, I, if I want to do it, I'm going to go try. I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I want, I don't know. It's just the way that I am. So it was my lifestyle. You know, it was the way that I coped. It was the way that I dealt with my depression. It was the way that I dealt with my anger. It was the way, and now I lost it. I lost my ability. The thing that had made my life better with my family, the thing that had put my life back together, I lost my ability to do it. I could no longer give my 100% in a physical capacity to exhaust myself to where I've had such an emotional and mental release that things were clear and that things were, if it, I mean, I think that we all can experience, you know, through exercise that euphoria that you get. Well, when you go as hard as you can for four hours, I mean, we would, Silver and I would go to the gym five days a week for three and a half to four hours every time. That's how much time we were dedicating to this. There was a day dedicated to meal prep. There was a day, you know, we did all of these things and, and she helped me do these things so I could achieve this goal. So I could try to get to this place. And, and it was such a beneficial thing for me, you know, that, that she loves the fact that I was doing it. And then, so like I said, I just lost it. I lost the ability to be able to do this. And, I noticed the depression coming back. I noticed the new evaluation of self-worth because my life had changed. My, my ability to do simple things like protect my wife and children, to run out of a burning building, to run into a burning building to save someone. These are decisions and things in my life that I probably, you know, I mean, I never had the burning building, but you kind of learn, either you learn, you run towards gunfire or you run away from it. You're going to go help fix the problem or you're going to go hide. I'm not a hider. Mm -hmm. So to me, for me to have that limitation, you know, I had to come to terms with that as a man you know, that I couldn't do physically the things that I was able and capable of doing. You know, I, I have a wonderful wife who for 12 weeks bathed me because I couldn't do it myself. You know, like she was just there. She was just this amazing person that, that was uh, just ready to be there for me. And, uh, you know, all that time that I have sitting there in a chair, can't move and can't do anything. And, and, you know, it's just thinking about what are, who am I? Who am I now? Who, what do I do now? You know, how, by losing the thing that I thought was the only thing that, that was good for me, you know what I'm saying? Like it just, but what it did was it, it pushed me out of my comfort zone. It pushed me away from the thing that I had used and made me realize that that was a stepping stone. 
and that life and the universe had redirected me from the thing that I loved to show me that it wasn't that thing that I loved. It was all these other things that I loved. That thing just helped me heal it, you know, that thing, you know. So I really had to evaluate, you know, what I was going to do. And I knew that I was having all these feelings and all these crazy ideas um, and just kind of the nonstop thought, you know, kind of like a, I wasn't in control of the thinker um, and I let it run away with me. So I decided that I would try some therapy, no medicine, psychology, not psychiatry, no medicine. I wasn't interested in medicine. If you brought up the word medicine, we were no longer having a conversation. I just hang up and be done with it. I'll call a different doctor. I, don't know. <laughs> I knew that that wasn't what, uh, you know, I was still, I was using cannabis and it, it, it works. My idea with cannabis is, 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 you know, like there are those times where I'm in an angry place or I'm in a place that I shouldn't, I won't say that I shouldn't be there because we have the feelings that we have, but I shouldn't dwell there. Right. And I should let those places control me. I should be able to release and, 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 and move on and move forward and grow. And when I'm having some of those moments, cannabis really brings me into the now. It really brings me away from, you know, like an overuse of cannabis will tend me back inside. But mm. but a moderate use of cannabis or the the just the extent that I need it, and it just pulls me into the now, pulls me into what's going on right now at this moment, right? And whether it's me, I'm walking outside and I'm like, man, the trees are pretty and the grass is green and the sky's blue, or or whether I'm inside and I'm <clears throat> I'm petting the dog, or I'm, you know, I'm just more focused in on what I'm doing at that moment instead of the the constant running and going. So, mm-hmm. but I knew I needed. I needed therapy. I needed to talk. I needed to find a way to to uh, start to process some of this because I could tell that I wasn't I wasn't who I was before. I had grown and changed, um, but I didn't know what to do with that information. If that makes sense, I didn't really know how. Mm-hmm how to move forward with that thought other than I just knew I wasn't the same. Uh, and after, you know, some recovery and after my other surgery and, and uh, I just didn't, didn't ever see myself getting back to that person. So it was like, well, who are we going to reinvent ourselves as? And I really went through it as a positive notion of we're inventing ourselves. We're making ourselves who we want to be. Right. And, I started to get into the therapy and I started to notice that I was feeling better by talking, but it was opening all these doors and it was opening kind of this, this idea again of what are we here for? And almost that spiritual aspect of it. Right. That's Mm -hmm. right. So these, these thoughts are now coming into play. And I only feel like they're coming into play because we had sorted out the other things in life that needed to be in place so we could focus on those things now, right? Right. <clears throat> so I had talked with my therapist. She's very open. She's she's really amazing when it comes to um, talking with veterans and being open and, and really 
making me feel like my path of healing is, is individual and that the time that I spend with her and the conversations that we have are important and I get feedback and I get some integration and I get, <clears throat> I get to be honest and open about the things that I'm doing. And we had discussed, mm -hmm. I had discussed with her because I had been reading about, you know, psilocybin trials in the VA and psilocybin trials in general. And, all of these positive effects of microdosing and you know, I was really just kind of like, I'm not going to try medicine, but I'm not opposed since I'm, I'm using cannabis. You know what I mean? I'm not opposed to, you know, I, I had some experience as a, as a kid, a teenager, but they were never intentional and there was never anything, uh, spiritual, I would say out of them. Maybe, a sense of connected to everyone, right? But never that thought of spirituality. I, was at, at, I think at that age, I was so caught up in, you know, the religion that had been in that, that background that I probably wasn't open to the idea of the spirituality at that point. They were just drugs. They were mm -hmm. just drugs to me back then. And we were just doing drugs, you know? Uh, right, right. <clears throat> so I decided to take a much different approach. And I decided to... Um, find some mushrooms. I had talked to my therapist about it. She had said that, uh, you know, she couldn't tell me what to do. Couldn't give me any suggestions, but that if I needed somebody to talk to that, that, uh, that she was willing to talk to me about it, but not to suggest anything or to, you know, I'm like, cool, whatever. It was the first time that I had had someone, I guess, in that role of authority in that position in my life, be open to something like that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, shit, let's do it. <laughs> let's jump in and let's do it. Right. <clears throat> so I ended up finding some mushrooms and doing some, some smaller doses, like a gram, a gram and a half. And I was kind of microdosing, and I was really enjoying microdosing much more, but I was microdosing at a higher level. I was more like 0 0.1, 0 0.2, 0 0.3, as to where my microdoses mm -hmm. nowadays are more like, 0.015 or maybe even lower than that. It, it, you know, it, it, it's, mm -hmm. um, so <clears throat> the thing that I started to notice was that sense of well being that I had had from medication, but there was no, altered sense or state of thought process to where, yeah, it wasn't like I, I felt good, but I just didn't care. You know what I mean? Like this, I felt good and mm -hmm. I felt good. And I wanted to tell you about how mm -hmm. I felt good. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to, <laughs> right. Like I was like, it was kind of blowing me away. Um, so I, uh, I ended up, um, doing some research and just trying to find as much information as I could um, about psilocybin and about some of the trials. And I had, had started to fill out some of the applications for some of the ones that were through the VA, um, but they didn't offer any in our state and I was going to have to, to leave the state. Um, but to be honest, I was just blown away about how, much different I felt about myself and about how much 
how I was able to process my thoughts differently and how I was able to dismiss the negative thoughts so quickly and how I was able to move past those negative things that had, they were the drivers of my thought process. And somehow they were being like, kind of like that pain that goes back here and being pushed way back here. They're just they're back there. I know they're there. Right. And I know we got to go talk about them. And I know we got to go deal with them. But for my everyday life, man, this is love. This is peace. This is, this is what I want. Right. So I started, uh, I got bummed out and I was like, well, you know, I can't find anything through the VA. So I was like, the hell with it. What does Kentucky have to offer? And I had been doing this, you know, for probably, uh, I had done the doses a couple of times and done those a few months, but I had been doing the microdosing for probably it's about a year, year and a half, you know, um, and I hadn't gotten a good schedule with it at first. It took probably six months to really kind of figure out a good kind of routine that worked for me and kind of, <clears throat> but I could definitely tell that it made a difference in my life and that it was important. So I don't want to skip far, too far forward. One of the things that came out of these microdoses and even these small one gram doses, right? I was just like, that was the other thing is I was kind of scared. I was afraid to go in too deep or to take a large dose because I didn't know how I would react. And I didn't want to say the wrong thing to my wife. And I didn't want to be like, Oh, I need to spill. Oh, here you go. You know, let me, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm pretty big on the idea that, uh, my healing should not cause you pain. You know, my, my healing should not be, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, I can't have, I can't change how you take what I say and you're going to choose, you know, but for me to have to dump something to make myself feel better that might cause you pain. I just, I can't get down with that. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, for sure. So I was scared about that. Um, I was, uh, I was also trying to be very therapeutic with it. And I was afraid that by doing larger doses, I was being recreational with it. You know what I mean? Like I didn't really have a lot. I didn't, I didn't understand. I didn't. And I think that was the big thing is I knew it was working and I knew that these things were, were changing. Right. But I didn't have enough understanding about the mushroom, about what it was mm -hmm. doing, about how it would, you know, like mm -hmm. I was just limited to kind of Google and, and whatever pops up, you know, and, and maybe a YouTube video. And then, you know, like I'd find the guy on YouTube that's like, way out here and you know i'm like okay i can't i can't live that way every day you know what i mean <clears throat> so i was just trying to find that happy medium and along the way i found this piece of me that i was like really really clinging to the idea of spirituality and really coming around to the idea of there's a purpose and there's a reason and, you know, it, it, it may not be the way that I was taught and I may not know what the right way is, but I could feel it and I could feel that something was different. You know, with the mushroom, I could feel this energy that was changing me and it wasn't an energy that was just working without me being able to, to sense it. I could sense it. I could feel it. I could, I had started to be able to 
Feel the trees, feel the earth, hear them. Have moments with them. Have, you know, just like this, this thing that was like an emotional connection that I couldn't understand. I couldn't even comprehend what it really, what, what was really going on. Just the fact that you can't see it, but there's a ball of energy here. You can't, you can't see it, but there's something that is just pulling me and holding me and right here, you know, but it's here. Mm-hmm. That was such a new concept for me. That was such a new idea for me being more of that realist, right? Of only the things that are tangible, only the things that are explainable, only the thing, you know, like to being, oh crap, man, maybe some of this stuff was right. <laughs> And again, there I found myself stuck at that idea. I found myself stuck at the idea of uh, if if I have to choose one, how do I choose the right one? There's so many things out Mm -hmm. there that everybody thinks right. And that's where Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I really had that self-realization of, Jeff, you're not into this for religion. Religion is so far mm-hmm. away from what you're looking for. You have found your own mm-hmm. moral code. You found your own compass. You found your own mm-hmm. way. But you're not spiritual. And I'm not giving thanks. And I'm not being mm-hmm. open and receptive to those types of energies that are out there for me. And those are the things that I found that were holding back some of my happiness, some of these energies that were stored, some of these you know, they they were just holding back my growth and my development. And uh, so I started to look more. And that's where I found sanctuary. I started to look in Kentucky. And I, uh, I ended up finding sanctuary's website. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? These people are in my backyard. They're like right here. And said, how, how did I not know about this, right? <laughs> So I start doing research and I start reading and I start, I really started looking at uh, some of the things that people had said about sanctuary, you know, because I went to the sanctuary site, but I was really kind of looking at, at um, some of the little tabs that they had where people were kind of, you know, giving their testimonials and, and things to where uh, I just wanted to fill it out. I didn't know if it was going to be religion. You know, I didn't, didn't really understand mm-hmm. quite what it was going to be about. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> to answer your question in a really long roundabout way is the thing that got me pushed towards psilocybin was all of that life. It was pain and hurt and love and all of the things that I was missing you know, it, it, it was it was all of that pushed me, and all of that got me here. Having success, and then being pushed away from that success, and having to find a different way. You know, it really spoke very, very clearly to me that life was pushing me to do something else. Life was pushing me in a direction, and I had used what I had needed in the environment and situation that I was in and I had gotten everything out of it. I had reached every goal that I had set to accomplish. And a week after I accomplished that life redirected me. Mm -hmm. And psilocybin Mm -hmm. made me start listening to that. 
in a way where I was like, oh, instead of just dismissing that idea and being like, this shit happened to me. No, this pushed me in a direction. This made me move differently internally mm. because I couldn't be external. Now, we said, okay, we're going to build your life back. We're going to give you back all the things. We're going to show you the error in your ways, and we're going to allow you to fix it. And now that you fixed it, now it's time to fix you. And that's what I felt like it was saying. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've been on a journey. I've been on a journey since I started with psilocybin, and the journey led me to sanctuary. And uh, since then, man, my journey has just flourished and blossomed. It really has. Like, I've really... <sighs> Can you can you yeah, talk? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, please, please, please finish what you're saying. I've been able to be a different person. I've been able to be a person that that values people's opinions that I never would have taken the opportunity to talk to before. I would have let my ego judge all of these people. I would have let let who I was and who I thought I was determine who the people that were worthy for me to talk to or that their story was worthy for me to listen to or that it could be have how how could a guy who's never lived through the things that I have how could he say anything that's going to ever be beneficial for me but man it's allowed me so much it's given me such a community of individuals who touch my life every week they touch me in ways that they don't even know you know like I don't know. It's hard to. It's hard to be able to bring into words what sanctuary has brought to me, other than clarity and peace and love. You know, like to break those down and to to. But like, this is my next step. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm finally working on me. Life allowed me the opportunity, the universe allowed me the opportunity to put the stuff back together that was valuable, that was the important things that were my core values for me. And now it's allowing me the opportunity to come back in and say, okay, let's dump all those things. Let's talk about them. Let's fix them. Let's go over them. You know, let's, let's reevaluate who we are so that we can be a better human so that I can be the best version of me that I can be. And that's the journey I'm on. And that, that's, that's where we're at. We are, uh, we're happy to wake up every day. We're, we're blessed. We're loved. You know, I have so much going for me. I have a- like a cat. I have a friend that has come to see me. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, it's, it's like a cat was one of the things going for you there. It's beautiful. So, so, um, man, you already kind of did, but I'd love it if you could, if you could talk about the community factor a little bit more, yeah. um, because when I recall you coming in, um, you know, my 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 history thus far working with with veterans has not been. Um, it's not been one in which most of those individuals were were really 
willing to engage in community to the extent that I've seen you do so. Um, I'm curious, you know, what sets you apart in that regard. Um, but, but even more so, you know, if you could just, just talk about the value of community in your recovery, especially because you did a lot of work with psilocybin by yourself. And it seems like once you came within the community, it's exponentially have increased your growth factor. Yes. Yes. Most definitely. Um, so I think that one of the things that I found um, in the gym and in lifting and in competing was there was a form of camaraderie between the same people that were there all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I find a lot of that in our community, which is really odd to me because I'm, I'm I find myself to be a little different of an individual than I think you know, a, a good bit of our community is, but, mm-hmm. but it makes no difference. It's, it's, it's the thing I was, that, that was one of the things I was afraid of, you know, I think I even told you, you know, before I came to the, before I came to the uh, retreat, <clears throat> I probably thought about turning around 10 times, man, mm-hmm. you know, and six months ago before I had showed up to that retreat, I probably would have turned around. I would have just sacrificed my money and went on and done my thing and, and been fine with it, you know? Um, but there was something drawing me to that, man. There was something that was like, <sighs> so when I joined sanctuary, when I first started, uh, before I joined, you know, I, I participated in multiple Sunday, um, services. Mm-hmm. And the things that I heard, the stories, the ideas, the the application of some of these things into people's lives, it was like a light came on and it was like, you've been missing this. You've been missing this the whole time. Like this is this is what you need, and this is a community of healing. This is a community of self improvement. It's a community of spirituality, of an idea so much bigger than us, you know. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but that community aspect to me. You know, I think I even, I told, I told some people when I got there, I'm like, man, I wasn't anxious and now I'm just anxious. And I'm just like, I don't know. And the one thing that I've learned about myself is that when I get nervous about something, it usually makes me dig in harder and I'm just like, let's do it. Let's get it over with. Like, I'm not, I'm not afraid. I can be nervous and do a bunch of stuff, but I'm not, I'm not afraid. I'm still going to do it. And they, usually if I, if I've never done it before, I'm at least going to try to look like I've done it before. I'm going to try, you know, I'm going to try to be good. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I just felt this. So I felt, I felt like, uh, my discovery call with Athena was very inviting. You know, I felt like the way that she approached it, it was kind of like my first communication with someone who was, you know, 
building and making sanctuary and 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 my my conversation with her it blew my mind it was it was it was so simple but my ability to be open and to talk and to just tell her the things that I wanted like I hadn't even told my therapist some of these things you know and I'm, I'm just like man like like how did I just open the door and just walk into that you know and just and just <laughs> so I just trusted my intuition and my intuition just kind of told me to just keep coming back and to just keep doing it and and to join in the conversation and to uh, to become a part of the community. And when I came to the community, um, you know, I didn't really realize it at first. It was one thing to talk to you guys and to see you guys on Sunday. But to become a part of that weekend retreat and to walk away from that feeling like not just a connectedness, not not just your, and I hate to say that, but it's not just the cliche mushroom, you know, oh, I feel connected, you know, whatever. The energy there that, that weekend, those people, that environment, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it didn't just make me realize that I was missing it, but it made me realize that I needed it and I wanted it. <laughs> So I came home and I've just been trying to engage as much as possible ever since. I've just been trying to, uh, I didn't push my wife to join Sanctuary, but I did talk talk about it with her and, and she has ended up making that decision on her own and, and coming to that. And, and, and that's just, that's an awesome thing. And I, I love that. But we, we have seen significant changes in her already just from being, in, you know, yeah seeing her engaging anyway sorry no no, no you're job. fine you're fine uh but you know like if she chooses to go away from sanctuary it, it, that's fine and that can be her choice you know and i don't mean that like like she would but i'm just saying mm-hmm. that that mm-hmm. Yeah, what i have yeah. found is that this is for me and this is this mm-hmm. is this is definitely for me um I have, I've left so many, so many meetings with the feeling, and I and I, I've told you this before, and I don't mean to just, I'm not just trying to puff you up here, but thank you so much for digging in and fighting for this, man. Thank you. Like this, this really has changed my life. This really has has brought me to a place where. I'm so excited to see where we grow from here. Like mm-hmm. I, I, mm-hmm. I haven't always had that feeling in my life. I haven't always had that outlook. But with this community, with the friendships, with the conversations, with <laughs> the messages, oh, it's like they never stop coming. They just they just keep coming, you know, and and I think, you know, most of our community at Sanctuary, they know that that I try to get as involved as I can with like the ministership programs. And man, like those things have been those have evolved into some amazing things. You know, those those things have uh, have really made a difference in my days on 
you know, how my week goes. And, and <clears throat> I just didn't, I didn't realize that I would want to be so involved in this community when I joined. You know, I was really looking for the idea of integration and the idea of trying to figure out what this meant to me. And now I just find it as I still want for me. But now I want things for this community and I mm. want to help this community and I want to push and make this more available. And there's so many people that they just don't know they're missing this. Hmm. Man, it's, it has been so, so beautiful watching you from that, those first few times and seeing that kind of trepidation, seeing when you got out of your truck there on that retreat and how I could see it. You're just like, I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know about this. And by the time it was over like that, that dose day, and you were just there guarding everybody, just watching. And I was just like, this, this, this guy right here, this, this fucking guy right here belongs right here. And I just, ever since then, man, it's just been, it's been so beautiful seeing you bring Jeff, bring you to this community. Cause that's what I feel like we're seeing that maybe very few people have ever seen is you, the real you showing up for yourself first and then for the people around you. My wife would agree with you. My wife knows that I left me. She met me when I was like 18, you know, and now uh, I went to war and I kind of lost that person. I lost the ability to sing. I lost the ability to cut up and have happiness. You know, and, and, and even though I've found some of these things along the way, <sighs> psilocybin sanctuary has created a space for me to be me inside of me and to bring me back out. And it has bled over into my life to where I sing and I act goofy and I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks about me. And I just don't, you know, like it has made me rediscover myself. And I just, I couldn't imagine my life without it. It feels like I've been part of this community for so much longer. I think there's something going on here much deeper uh, uh, than than we can ever realize that transcends time you know i think that all of these events and all these things that have brought continue to bring people together there there is something moving behind the scenes that's been we have we have been a part of this community for a very long time this is not our first go round, i believe anyway um and i would just say that you know just your story alone is enough to make whatever we have gone through over the years well worth it. Well worth it. If I could go back to that time in the jail cell, you know, thinking that that's where I was going to be spending the next decade of my life, um, man, just go back there and smile, knowing what's coming, man. So I guess, you know, you say there's 
some there's this is something that people don't know what they're missing and ever you know like you with silver like i'm not trying to sell anybody on this thing but i also know that there are a whole lot of people out there that are hurting that are alone that don't know what they're missing or what they they don't even know what they need you know um they barely know what's available what's available and i guess like how how would you how would you communicate that out to people so that um it doesn't have the traditional baggage that comes with like you already said religion you know we don't need more religion we need more spirituality we need more community and particularly thinking of like veterans and the people the, the demographic that where you came from you know like yeah what what I think what immediately immediately for veterans you know like a lot of a lot of veterans have that religion drawback you know there's a lot of opportunities they have chaplains and things like that in the military but not a lot of people participate i mean there's a mm-hmm. percent but i would say a higher percent does not participate but i would say mm-hmm. to do that job and to to live that life and to do the things that you do you know you you either have to be you know really in tune with your maker and his okay with the decisions of what you're doing or you just choose to not participate in that because it, uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a good way to be between, you know, I couldn't, I don't think anybody wants to live their life judging themselves, you know, at that mm-hmm. moment when there's things that they need to be doing, you know, to stay alive or to accomplish things. But mm-hmm. so from a military perspective, a veteran perspective, I think that outreach into the community, I think that to be honest, the thing that I think that, that makes the biggest difference that shows the biggest difference with sanctuary is through witnessing and through my testimony and through people hearing people that are like me or hearing people that have a background or even people that are completely different to me that are just looking at me going, this guy's going to talk about church. You know, <laughs> cool. I hope you think that because I'm not going to fucking talk about church, bro, but I'll talk to you about some spirituality. Let's go. You know, mm. but I do want to talk to you about this community, this community of healing, of spirituality, mm. you know. And I think that for me, I was just at a point where I was I was so in need that I was looking. Mm-hmm. But I would love to reach those people who are just at that point where they, they're looking and they don't even know they're looking, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like there is something to look for. They just feel like they're so, mm-hmm. and <clears throat> but there's a lot of benefit for those others too, and those others that aren't veterans, and those people that just have that um, shyness towards any religious entity, you know. And I mm-hmm. think that, that again is just going to be based off of what they hear, what our actions are, you know. How do we mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. <clears throat> You could tell anybody to come join, but until they come and see a Sunday service and witness it for themselves, that 
oh, they're not, we're not talking about God. We're not talking about, you know, mm -hmm. don't get me wrong. God and the creator and, and the great spirit and the universe, it may come up, right? But mm -hmm. we're not preaching it to you. Right. These are people's ideas. Right. These are people's feelings. And these are people that, you know, they're, they're no, no wronger or they're no right or they're, they're not wrong, you know, like, Mm -hmm. And I think that that acceptance, uh, that acceptance is, is what really draws and what really brings the people. Mm -hmm. that, you know, I said this before, the church, you know, like the church, the group, the sanctuary, it's the people. Mm -hmm. wrong. Like I said, thank you. We wouldn't have this without that leadership. But these people that show up every day. These people, that, yep. you know, that's what it's about. And, and when, yes. when, when you can show other people that those people show up and you can show people, you know, you can. But I, I honestly think that by reading anything, but I think our, our outreach should be um, through witness and testimony. And I think it, it's one of the most powerful, <clears throat> the most powerful things that can be used to reach people because we are people. And we are going through all of this together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Well, this is a certainly a powerful story here, Jeff. You know, I asked, I asked you earlier what you would say to a young man or woman going into the military. And I'd love to ask you on the inverse, if you had audience with 10 to 100, 1,000 people who were just coming out of the military, not sanctuary aside, we're not talking about sanctuary, we're just talking about those individuals having some idea of how their life is getting ready to change again. And with this wisdom that you have now, years after, what, what would you communicate to them? The first thing that I would say is allow yourself some grace. Mm. But you're not alone. And if you find yourself in a place that you don't want to be, or if you find yourself in a way that you don't want to be, just know there's hope. And I would be more than willing to discuss with anyone and to give my testimony for the things that have helped me and the ways that I have had to go to get to the place that I am now. And I think that if I could share that with those people, that it serves the purpose of when they get to that point, they will have had this information and they won't have to search mm -hmm. for it. Because a lot, a lot of us, when we come out, we don't want anything to be wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us. Mm -hmm. I did this, I went here, I did this. There's something wrong with you. Nothing wrong with me, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us have that feeling, and then we realize when we don't fit in, oh shit, this is me. This is us. You know, it's hard to go from a position where you're important into being responsible, and things matter, and you come out into a world where you're not appreciated, and your ideas aren't listened to these people have more experience doing what you're doing, but yet you have experience doing something that they would, they couldn't, they couldn't hold a candle to what you can do. Right. Worlds beyond. Right. Yeah. 
but I would just encourage them to find themselves and find who they are without that. Mm. Because that's who you are, who they made you become. And the things that you've done do not make you who you are. They just give you the sense of who you are, but that's not, Mm. And you can change your ego. You can change all of that. And that's what I would tell them. Beautiful. And I would tell them that I love them. And I'm very appreciative for everything that they've done. Man, uh, it, there has probably not been a single group of individuals that have changed my mind. Like, big picture changed my mind about the understanding of how we function as a society and what we are capable of as individuals like working with veterans. You know, I told you at the camp, the the retreat there that I grew up in a fuck the military. There ain't no good there. And that, that lasted a very long time. And when I started working with people in Jamaica and seeing how many, just some of the most incredible human beings that walk this planet, most caring who are, who are sincerely there, just like you said, to stand up for freedom to protect and to serve the human population. It's incredible. So thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for being such a formative foundational member of this community. Cause we're just getting fucking started, bro. I mean, we're just getting started with this thing. A couple years in like what we, what we saw develop in Jamaica after seven years with, you know, that in a situation where, you know, it was hard to get to, cost a lot of money. It was, it was not, it, it didn't facilitate the, the growth in community like we're seeing here. So if we're, if we're allowed by the grace of whatever's out there to continue this thing on for 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years, God knows what we could be seeing here. And the mushroom right. is such a powerful tool to incorporate into this, this spiritual practice. Can you talk just a little bit? The last thing I'd love, um, and, you know, a, a bit, a bit, not selfishly, because my motivation or the motivation behind <clears throat> these minister programs has been to empower individuals, not to create a sales funnel, not to create some kind of multi-level marketing scheme, but to fucking empower individuals to take care of themselves with this sacrament and then to start extending that into others. And that's what, so you've been doing this, you, excuse me, you've done this myself minister first taking care of yourself. You went through this friends and family and you're starting to sit for other people. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience within those two programs? Cause like you've you've already said that they have evolved since they've started and they will Mm -hmm. continue to evolve. Um, uh, So just knowing where we are right now and seeing the potential, put possibilities in the future with, with this self-empowerment, share some of your experience there and maybe even what you envision for the future of programs like those. Sure. <clears throat> so, um, I was part of the, I think I was part of the first group of the, mm-hmm. myself ministers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that you guys had done the cleric program, which I did not get to participate mm-hmm. in. So, <clears throat> I was part of the first group. Um, and so I found, I found that my self ministry, um, course to be educational. Um, I also found it to be 
an excellent resource to make myself a little more comfortable with administering to myself and to kind of have access to those resources to just move myself into um, more micro dosing, you know, more, more intentional, larger doses. And, you know, just kind of the idea just basically I was, I was, uh, just ignorant to the terminology and to a lot of the things that, that we had, that we learned in that first course. Right. Mm. So I found it very educational and very informative, but to me, the course, the meat and potatoes is the conversation, you know, For sure. um, and when I say that it has grown, I mean, as the course is gone, we've added more people. Mm -hmm. And with the more people that we get and the more personalities and the more ideas and perceptions and the more stories, you know, the more community comes in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And by building the idea of the myself ministry with the idea of empowering me, and others who took the course to be able to do this and to feel good about it and to have the, the, not just the, not just the course of saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go through this to check the block so that I'm, I'm in the best place that I can be, but mm-hmm. to actually take away from it the idea of the community that I'm doing this with, mm-hmm. you know, and to actually, to get to see, what others ideas of just one of the best conversations that I remember having out of the first one was our sincerity conversation. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like when we get into these conversations, you get into all of these different mm-hmm. views and you get to learn these things and you get to see these things and hear them. But you intended this to empower us. But what you did is you made us a group and you made us, and that's what's growing and that's what's making this so beneficial is because I have a team of ministers. I have, yeah. a, it's, I mean, I have, it's, it's not even a team. It's a gaggle. It's a group. It's a, it's a wall. Of this, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, man, we're all going to roll in and man, this is going to be good. But so what you did by empowering us as individuals is you greatly empowered us as a group. And I think mm. that that, as far as the myself is the biggest takeaway for me is because not only is it reoccurring, not only can I go back and I can go over these lessons again, I can hear other people's input again. I can become an integrated part of my community to where we can learn weekly from each other and we can grow off of the things from one week to another and it just doesn't stop. My mm-hmm. It feels like, you know what I mean? Like, and I love it. I love being able to be there. I hate the days that I can't make it, that, that life has other things going on for me. I'm like, man, this is, this is kind of throwing me for a loop. I really had this scheduled today, you know? <laughs> so <clears throat> I feel like, uh, you know, the myself ministry course has, 
given me the ability to just move forward with my practice in a more educated and more positive way. Um, I do have to say though, that man, the community experience, even though I do the myself course and I can administer to myself, I cannot wait till I can be with the community again because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's just, it's different, you know? Well, this, this, this celebration that we're going to have, even though it's going to be lower dose, more of a celebratory vibe, you know, having a number of these folks who have been through these conversations together, then coming together and sharing in sacrament experience together. I think I am so fucking stoked about that. I can't even be too. I can't tell you. I can't. Wait. And I, you know, it, 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 to say this to you, like, so it's been because the, the last thing I want to do after all of our experience in Jamaica is develop another fucking marketing funnel. You yeah. know, like I don't want people, I don't want people coming to sanctuary unless they truly feel like this is something that's going to serve them and they're going to be a vested member of the community. This is not some product or service where people come in, get a thing and then dip out and go their way. Now this is community and you know, you really embody that. Um, But it's been really hard for me to, because I don't want it to be sales pitchy to communicate the value of these minister programs, exactly in what you're saying as the community builds and these ongoing conversations can happen. Every single one of us will grow exponentially in, in our own personal practice. And like, I guess that's where we, 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 have, we do have a bit of a hurdle, which is fine. Um, but in that the majority of people are comfortable, are more comfortable with being sold something than being invited into something, than being invited to be a part of something. You know, and like the value that we're, we're, that these minister trainings are with the collective mind that comes into it, like it, it, it has the potential to have such a massive impact on psychedelic culture that we right now can't even realize it. We're just fish swimming in the pond, you know, but take a step back. And if, as you know, the wonderful compound of LSD told me we would have a thousand ministers ordained in the near future, like to take a step back and see the possibility, the possible impact of those thousand people who are developing their own practice and bringing that practice into community and sharing with each other and everybody growing so much faster together. Like the, the research and <clears throat> all the scientific kind of approach around this valued as it may be, it, it will pale in comparison to what we will learn and be able to implement as individuals and community. It's, it's, it's fucking so exciting to me. And you have just like, you get it. I know you get it. I see you getting it. I see you coming in and showing up and helping to grow it. And I personally want to thank you so much for that because it's going to take a few people and we've got a few people, you know, we've got a handful of people right now who are, stayed or still enrolled in these subscriptions and continue to come on the calls and continue to develop their own practice. But eventually people are going to see what what's coming out of the input that you're bringing into this and others are bringing into this. And it's, it's just going to be uh, a huge impact on the psychedelic culture overall. So very excited and very grateful. I'm glad to be here, brother. 
like I said, it's it, <clears throat> very beneficial for my life. Very helpful. And yeah. I love it. I've, um, I've seen it. All right. La- oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to touch on the friends and family real quick because I talked on the. Oh, sure. So the yeah, yeah, sure. family, the friends and family course, man, I really found that um, that has really drawn me in to the needs of others. And it's really pointed out that, you know, this sacrament and these experiences are not just about what happens to me and with my experience and the energy and the healing and the witnessing of that and the feeling of that. And to, to it's life changing. Mm-hmm. It's uh, being able to watch at the retreat and to see others is what really drew me into the family and friends because it was like, man, I know so many people that need this. I know so yes. many people. And how can I offer it to them if I don't go through and learn? And how can I be the person and develop into what I need to be if I don't learn to be able to help take care of this community and to be part of this community in that way where I can I can sit for these people and I've done the things that I need to do to prepare myself so that I can give you the best experience possible. And I learned that when I was preparing to sit for someone. I was so outside of myself because all I could think about for the whole week was what does this person need? What does this person need? What can I do to make sure yeah. they have what they need? And for me to be to be that way was just, it was awesome. It was a great feeling. It was something that I wasn't accustomed to. And it's just part of that growth and development. It's part of that pulling me, pulling more of me, of who I really truly am, out of the shell that I built that was just this hard ass that didn't want to be, you know... But I think that's the the coolest thing that that's come out of out of the friends and family course is just the desire to help, the desire to be there for those people who want this, and to be able to do it to the best of my ability. You know, that's that's what really, you know. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, I can't wait till the community course opens. I'll be there. So. Yeah, we've had a couple people. Uh, actually, uh, Christina reached out this morning asking about that, so we're gonna have to have to get that formalized. Um, and yeah, I won't go too far into any of that, but man, that that is where it's at. That is where it's helping others. Like I had no idea. I spent I spent so long just you know thinking life was about me, right? And it's 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 not. It's service to others. And what what more incredible of a space and an opportunity is that in that that transformation that you are there witnessing and supporting and the energy you know uh, that uh, uh, Dr. Joe Tefer that was in town last week for that psychedelic thing science thing you know uh-huh. he was saying that they they have they have been able to basically show through quantitative data that the 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 most important, not not the second most important, not the most important factor in the growth that you experience in a psychedelic trip is the person 
who is supporting you and the place where you are being supported. The person, the space that the person holds, and I've, I've, I've known this and seen this for years, and you, you, know, you don't try to communicate that out because like, it's not about me, it's not about you. But when you make it not about you, when I make it not about me, right, then that person is able to have their transformation. And so that was such a profound understanding to, to, to be able to see, you know, like I said, like the actual data that's been compiled over years of observation that illustrates that the individual who is the support is more important than the medicine itself. That's fucking, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you take ayahuasca, LSD, psilocybin, MDMA, blah, 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 right? It matters more who you're with when you take it. That is profound. Yeah. I agree. That's, that's. But you know, would you, I'd love. Go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to ask if, if, if you wanted to share anything about that recent, that was your, that was the first time you sat for anybody, right? Aside from, didn't you recently sat for so, a member? Uh, well, so uh, last minute something changed, and uh, I'm going to okay. sit for them on on uh, this Friday coming up. But something changed okay. gotcha. for them in their situation. So, gotcha. but I will share with you this that I went mm -hmm. through all of the motions and that I set everything up and that uh, I had everything there, like. Like what I said, like I had, you know, just reached out and tried to make sure, is there anything that you need and can I do anything? And I had everything prepped and ready to go and, and last minute it went the other way. So, uh, <clears throat> so I went out and I uh, had a dose myself in a setting that, I, right? had, that I had, I just couldn't see letting letting the time oh, to nice. and I think I had talked with you about a, an experience that I had on the full moon and mm -hmm. I was just kind of left with a lot of questions and a lot of uh, really a lot of weirdness out of the full moon experience <laughs> Man, that sounded like it. <laughs> I mean like uh, yes I was on the ground on a blanket rolling in a blanket just weird um mm -hmm. Good, good. But, but yeah, yeah, it was. But man, <laughs> the experience that I had this Saturday, uh, oh, it just unfolded all of it for me. And it just kind of, uh, so much clarification that this is the path and that we are evolving and changing and that, you know, this is, this is, I've got some things that I need to start to reevaluate that are inside because we've made ourselves to a nice, comfortable spot, you know, mm -hmm. but, uh, I still, still want some time to kind of think and meditate on it, but it's a story that I would love to share because my experience over this last weekend was, I was just filled with so much love and so much acceptance and, and just, uh, positive wholesome energy and uh i was really able to spend hours after my physical um 
experience had passed. And I mean, just hours in nature, contemplating, walking, Mm -hmm. just really setting my new path for myself, man. Just really like my new schedule for my weeks, my new, my, my, like it, it all just unfolded. Like it was just like, bro, this is it. This is, this is where we go from here. This is what we're doing now. And then we'll reevaluate that later and we'll look at what we're doing, you know, but it, it really just brought into my mind and my life with all of the things that we kind of have going on right now and all of the things that are, that are moving and going in my life that, that I have to focus on these things that are so important to me and that are, that are growing me and that those are first. Mm-hmm. You know, everything else is, is secondary. The way that I, the way that I treat and interact and love, those are first, you know, people are first relationships are first everything else is secondary you know love is is just amazing and for me to come from a place where i hated who i was hated to be around people hated hated the idea of even talking about the way that i felt and to be sitting here with you right now and to to do this is just a a witness and a testimony to the power of what we can do with the aid and the tool of the mushroom and of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they didn't do it for me, but mm-hmm. they definitely mm-hmm. get to the space where I could work it out myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I'll, I'll <clears throat> this is, this isn't a, a part of my life that I couldn't imagine now going back and not having this, the mushroom, the experience, the love, the, the feeling, the community, and sanctuary, all of it. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful, brother. So beautiful. Sounds like you. Uh, sounds like your name and your personality maybe are coming back in line. <laughs> Jeff Love. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. There we go. <laughs> you have no clue how many times how many times I've been told. I've never seen somebody with a name of love have so much hate. <laughs> oh wow. Oh, yeah, man. I was told. Not not Here recently. I haven't been told that recently, but yeah, definitely not since I've known you for sure. But man, uh, I I am witnessing the evolution of Jeff Love, and it is a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. Last question I want to ask you: What does psilocybin say to you, Jeff? Psilocybin tells me that I'm better than what I think I am. Oh, and that I am oh. okay. Yes. That's what it Damn. tells me. That is a beautiful one. That is beautiful. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you so much for sharing this time and sharing your story. You are Thank really you a hero. You really are a hero, brother. I love you, brother. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Likewise, my friend. Likewise. Likewise.